This is Bisbee Live with Mike Butler, a podcast featuring interviews with artists and musicians, really any creative types from Bisbee, Arizona, or artists visiting the area. You can sometimes hear snippets of these interviews on KBRP, the local community-supported radio station here in Bisbee. Uh, Things are shifting, however, and uh, going forward, the interviews will be a separate entity recorded uh, independently, separate from KBRP. This week, I'm releasing the podcast version of my interview with Jean Caffeine, who came to Bisbee a few weeks ago to play a gig promoting her new album, Sadie Saturday Night. Sadie Saturday Night is not only her latest album release, but also the name of her one-woman show about growing up in San Francisco during the explosion of uh, of punk rock in the the late 70s. Be sure to check out sadiesaturdaynight.com. That's N-I-T-E.com. And also genecaffeine.com to find out more about her music and where you can go see her show. Uh, This interview was recorded in the KBRP studio a few weeks back in the Bisbee Royale building downtown. Have you been to Bisbee before? I went to Bisbee, I've been to Bisbee twice. Uh, Once, probably 20 years ago, I I was playing at Club Congress and uh, staying with a friend. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I knew that I had a friend that had moved to Bisbee that I was completely out of touch with. I mean, I, you know, it's before cell phones, and I don't know where where email was in, in the picture. Um, so I just drove there with this friend, this older friend of mine, and we drove around uh, Bisbee asking if anybody knew my friend, Danny Plutzer. Okay. And Eventually, did you find anybody that did know him <laughs> yeah. and uh, found him and he looked a little bit uh, perplexed that I showed up out of nowhere just, just to say hi. So that was the first time. And then I, I came and played uh, the quarry in the fall. Um, it was on a Sunday, so it was a little quieter. Mm-hmm. Um, I was supposed to play Saturday, but the, my booking guy had, had booked an impossibly long route that I just I, I couldn't handle um, and yeah, you you and know the expats here is that right say it again um, the expats now I know them mm. because uh, uh, Danny told me that they were a great band and mm. I reached out to them and they played with me that Sunday night and then we've done a couple small shows here during South by uh, in Austin mm. and so I, I, I really know their material now they've got the best songs <laughs> They're so catchy, they get in my head and stay there. <laughs> well, I've been enjoying your your latest album. We'll we'll get into it, but... Um, oh, good. I hope that gets into your head and stays there, too. <laughs> it has this past week. Um, oh, good. So, Bisbee 20 years ago, if you yeah. remember, if you have any recollections of it, have you... Is it How much has it changed? I, I, I can't speak to mind. that. It was just like this crazy <laughs> adventure, and we went to look for a Jewish cemetery, I think a tombstone before we got to Bisbee. So it was just sort of this afternoon. We I didn't stay overnight in Bisbee. I just I just sort of tooled around. So I, I can speak to how other places have changed <laughs> because it seems like <laughs> any place with a population has changed. Well so. I, I want I want to get into that uh too for sure because um I know that you grew up um 
for the punk scene in in San Francisco. You were there yeah. when it all yeah. exploded there, right? Yeah. And you watched it die. Um, and um, in your song Winter of Hate, you kind of touch on um, the death of punk rock. Um, right, which I guess didn't <laughs> die. Uh, you know, and, and that song sort of came out of a conversation with a, with a with my collaborator, this guy Josh Robbins, who's like a big Dead Kennedys fan, and I was mm. like, oh my god, I thought it was all over by the time the Dead Kennedys got in the picture. <laughs> I was very wrong, you know, since that's like really the one of the main exports from San Francisco punk rock that everybody knows. But I was like, oh yeah, this is so over. Um, yeah, well, I did think there was some sort of death that happened that at that show but i guess uh i don't know you know when you you go to the hospital and you die for a few minutes and then you get the <laughs> then you see the light kind of like yeah maybe it was sort of like that um because it's 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 really actually been very punk rock seems to have really sustained and endured and in some ways i feel like this record gets a little more attention be, because punk rock has such a kind of a, a loyal base well, both young and old um mm -hmm. even though a lot of the songs the tracks don't on the album don't sound very punk rock a couple do well you yeah. know i was i was listening back to um you know all night truck stop um yeah geckos wow. in the elevator and um <laughs> yeah i mean you, you can have a twang to you for sure and i love it you know yeah um like uh kind of like what x uh, turned yeah. into and and uh, yeah. you know what those guys was, end up doing. I was definitely uh, into the knitters and knitters. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, who and, is that? Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of punks went roots, mm -hmm. and and some punks like my friend Penelope from the Adventures also, like myself, went kind of folk. I mean, I sort of hate the F word, but I know I I can have that sound. <laughs> some of it is yeah. just really like pragmatic because it's. It's hard to keep a band. It's hard to take a band on the road. Austin has so many players. Everybody's playing with it, you know, a million bands, and they're going to mm. be loyal to the one that works the most and gets the most money. And for years, I was a teacher, and I, I couldn't take a full band on the road. I could, I could barely play ever. So it started doing a lot of shows just as a duo, and it, it got, you know, gets folky. Uh, what, what did you teach? I taught art uh, oh, that's in great. elementary school. I still, I don't teach in elementary school anymore. I still do some, now I, I've gone from uh, being a, a school teacher to a teaching artist. So, mm. <laughs> so no benefits, <laughs> yep. but a lot less hours and you can still be an artist. And was that so, in, was that in Austin when you were teaching? Uh, the lion's share of it was in Austin. Mm. I'd had one little year where I taught overseas <clears throat> in Thailand and a couple years where I did the teaching artist thing in Canada, uh, but uh, and and in one other place. But m most of it was in Austin. Lots and lots of years of teaching in Austin. Yeah, and you know, obviously Austin's a big music city. Um, but what made you want to move away from San Francisco? It was a process. I didn't really go from San Francisco to Austin. I went from San Francisco to New York because that had been my big dream my parents were new yorkers so we'd go back there all the time and i'm like when i grow up i'm gonna move to new york and be famous you know like <laughs> so, you know you know like a six-year-old's dream um so the moving to new york happened and 
and you know, I had a, a, a lot of adventures there that have yet to be documented in an album. But um, you know, I I did a little bit. Of, I worked in clubs from coat check to DJ. I had a little. I had a dream that I wanted to move to New York and be a DJ. I, mm. I, I, it wasn't specific like on the air or in clubs. So I ended up doing a little little DJing in clubs and uh, and then I I had several bands, but one of them was very popular for a couple of years and then gone. Um, mm-hmm. So it goes? That, yeah, that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that band was called Pulsalama, and it was kind of formed as a joke or as a concept for a party at this place called Club 57, which has had a resurgence um, because the Museum of Modern Art um, somehow caught wind of Club 57, which was this phenomenon through the you know, early to mid 80s. And they made like a retrospective in the basement. So from last, I don't know, October to April, they had this exhibit and all these people from the past came out of the woodwork. So anyways, this band Paul Salama came out of the scene at, at Club 57, which was kind of had a different theme every night. And if you were in the crowd that hung out there, you could pitch your idea or, you know, book the place for the night and do any kind of craziness. So mm-hmm. this band, Pulsalama, came out of something that Ann Magnuson, who you may be familiar with, she was in Bong Water. She's an actress and a performance mm-hmm. artist. Mm-hmm. If you do your research a lot, we'll come up on Ann. So this was Ann's project. She wanted to have this bacchanal with an all-female like percussion ensemble, like wearing togas and stuff. So... Uh, <laughs> Somehow I got recruited to that at the last minute. I I moved to New York kind of recently and had briefly played in a Velvet Underground tribute band as a drummer. And, oh, interesting. And um, <laughs> and so Anne saw that and I got recruited into this Pulsalama, which was just for this event, but it was so well received. Then we booked some club gigs and they were well received and, and ended up being something that happened for a couple of years. And we opened some shows for The Clash and... Um, and you, but, you talk about that in uh, all girl band, yeah, right? I do. Like yeah. with all girl band, I, tr- I had I I had each verse is for like one of the girl bands that I play drums in. So it starts. So that's the only song that's not like you know totally true to the punk scene. Well, I did repurpose some other songs, so maybe that isn't even true. <laughs> well, this yeah. this whole new album of yours, Sadie Saturday Night, it's uh, it's a, it really is a nostalgia album, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and in that that song, "All Girl Band," uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but do you mention Bill Murray? Is yeah, I do mention <laughs> mention Bill. Murray. Oh, I have to hear that story. What was he at a gig? Well, what? I was told he was at a gig. We 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 got booked to play at this place, the Hong Kong Cafe. There were these two rival Chinese restaurants that were hosting uh, punk bands, and and this is Hollywood, in New York right. around '79. Oh, okay. I think. And mm-hmm. we, our friends, the Zeros, um, a band that was originally from San Diego, uh, but I think by that point was living in San Francisco. Um, you know, they had some shows there, and they invited us to open. And one of the perks of you know playing shows with restaurants is they feed you, so we ate a lot of the food, which is probably never a great idea before you. Uh, especially if it's like really greasy Mm -hmm. food um and 
I guess they thought we were horrible, the owner. And after after our show, which was supposed to be one of two, she came up to me and she said, basically exactly what I say in the song, you're the worst band we've ever heard, and Bill Murray just left. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I didn't see him, but, you know, I guess if you're going to be insulted, you might as well go big. So Right. They really wanted to (laughs) dig that knife as far in as possible. but it's a very funny insult. I mean, at the time, it was really horrible. (laughs) That's so funny. I love Bill Murray, but, uh, and then, you know, it was really early, just like when, you know, no, I don't, I don't know if he'd even made Caddyshack, maybe, but, you know, it's like certainly pre Ghostbusters, Mm -hmm. you know, Saturday Night Live type time, timeline, Bill Murray. Uh, So, yeah, that was crushing. But the, you know, the fun thing about making an album like this is that you can dredge up all that stuff and a lot of it you know, wasn't pleasant, you know, that's the thing, you know, nostalgia is something that usually is sort of like shiny and shimmery and you long for, to me, um, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of like enhanced, memory enhanced, but the album is, you know, pretty positive, but I also have this show that I do, like a performance piece, and it, it, it leans more on the storytelling part of that same history and it goes to some like darker or more personal places Mm. um but i i tend to you know make songs that sound pretty cheery these days (laughs) even even if uh maybe that wasn't you know my experience hey well you know it's a good time to have plenty of uh cheery songs you know yeah i don't think you can can have too many (laughs) and so on the album we get a little bit of some good times right 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 to remember some good times um, there is some spoken word on the album, but you're saying yeah. um, you do a performance. Um, is it so you'll tell stories and then you'll play songs from from the album? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the the performance piece is a like scripted storytelling. It's got some little riffs in it, and it's got. Um, Sometimes it'll have the whole song, like Girl Band, or sometimes it just has like a really shortened version of a song, or like a song like Sadie Saturday Night in retrospect. It has like, it has five verses. That's too many verses, period. But, you know, I already <laughs> recorded it like that. So in the, in the play, I have to try to keep things to an hour if I can, or close to an I, I had to do it at a fringe fest. They said it had to be an hour. So for them, I, 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 I whittled down a bunch of the songs, but there's a lot of extra storytelling mm-hmm. um, in it. Yeah. But um, last time I went on tour, I was somebody was supposed to go with me and accompany me on guitar and, you know, kind of somewhat short notice, he got a better gig. So I was like, what am I going to do? So I started kind of making my set into a hybrid where I do some of the storytelling, some of the funnier stories that lead into the songs on the album. I've been kind of making a, like a, like a third, a third thing where, where I, you know, where I mix it up with the stories and the songs. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'll do that on Saturday night. It depends what the crowd is like. If the crowd is really partying, I'm just going to play songs. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I played before there on Sunday and it was a real intimate crowd of, you know, Danny's friends and the expats friends. Um, then I told a lot of stories. Right. Um, That's what they wanted so, to hear. 
So it's well, it gets mm-hmm. people's attention because it's not just like, oh my god, we have to listen to another person's songs for <laughs> forty-five minutes again. You know, sometimes you really want to listen to that person's songs for forty-five minutes, but sometimes, you know, you could feel a little uh, antsy. Mm-hmm. It's a small crowd, you know. Uh, so this performance yeah. piece has been kind of like an, an evolution. Yes, yeah. the whole thing was an evolution. I'm I'm very. Um, like I get a lot of ideas, but I'm slow to execute the ideas. So it started as like I wanted to write a memoir, um, but I didn't. I don't know. Based on some very limited feedback, I got maybe the memoir wasn't very good. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it to a very grouchy rock critic to read. Well, that'll do. I mean, it, yeah, you have to send some brownies along with it or something. I, I yeah. There was some incentive, but he he didn't have his kid gloves on. Um, you know, the the memoir was very anecdotal. It wasn't like full of plot points and drama and shit I don't even know about. You know, um, but so it started with that, and then I went to like a weekend writing workshop, and people were like, "This should be a." You know, you should perform this. And I'm like, no, no, no. Because that sounded horrible to me, that you'd have to, like, learn all this stuff mm. and then just do it once. Like, if you if you, if you make an album, you go out and play it for a couple of years. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Uh, that sounded really like a lot of work. Uh, I was like, no, no, no. And then it just sort of kept percolating. And then I made myself sign up for this Fringe Fest, that like a, like a mini Fringe, where you perform for 25 minutes. And uh, again, I was supposed to have a guitar player, and he kept not coming through. So I was like, oh, I got to figure something out. And another friend suggested repurpose some of your songs. So I ended up writing some new ones and repurposing some old ones. And for the play, for this Fringe Fest, I had wanted to use all these samples. Uh, Originally, when I wrote the memoir, it had all these little shout outs to all kinds of songs mm-hmm. kind of like i don't know there's a little novel called something about a mixtape it's a guy who wrote writes for rolling stone it's a real it's a real neat little memoir and i think he organizes everything by you know songs he likes so i had done that and they were like you can only have five uh, sound cues <laughs> i was like five sound cues so that's sort of long you know that that's uh, sparked me to write some songs I tend to not be tell a story very concisely you really may have to chop this up <laughs> oh no 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 um, and it makes perfect sense and uh, it makes sense yeah. that you would do it on stage I mean you've, you've been performing yeah. you know and I did it on stage so long. before I made the album mm-hmm. uh, and then after I made the album I also I think I did it on stage again but you know it's I don't have a producer I don't have a director I don't have a background in theater so I think when you do theater, you get grants, and I got one little grant to do it in the city. I just haven't really had the nerve or the oomph or the something to try to see how I could do that on a national level. Maybe the moment's passed. Maybe it hasn't. I oh, no. Yeah, when I first was, like, uh, picking Danny's brain to come to Bisbee, I was like, well, I can, I can do this theater piece, or I could play a gig. But I think when you do the theater piece, you've got to rent the theater, and so... No one knows who you are. That's not, unless you have grant money. That's just not very doable. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
But, I like to do the piece, but the piece is intense, and and playing a gig is light and fluffy, you know. Right, right. And you'll have um, the album for sale um, uh, on yeah, vinyl, yeah. right? Yeah, I have it on vinyl, mm-hmm. and I have a few copies on on CD. Is this your first and, release on vinyl since it's kind of made a comeback? It's my first release on vinyl ever. Mm. <laughs> so, and but I mean, it's a, it's an album about the seventies, so I mm-hmm. didn't even want to do a CD. It's good I did. Because I couldn't, you know, it would be hard. It, sending it to radio would have been hard, and and tons of people still don't have turntables. I mean, <laughs> it's like young people who are into vinyl, and then there's like old curmudgeons like myself who, have, you know, <laughs> held on to, you know, turntables or you know, or held on to some of their albums. I've I've lost quite a few. It's my my husband who's younger turns out to like really be the vinyl junkie these days. Okay, um, he has a pretty good like, collection. He just like always wants to go to the record store. And I was that person. I mean, for so long, I was that person. I don't know why I'm not that person right now. Um, maybe because I've had to haul those albums right. so many I, times. That's and, why I've lost all my albums. Yeah. Oh, it's I've moving lost so much. most of my albums. Mm-hmm. And, um, and things get confusing. Like I moved to, I moved to Canada and lent some albums and a turntable to a friend who I love, but he never listened to them, and he never got a turntable, but he doesn't want to give them back. <laughs> he, he remembers yeah. them as a gift. I, I really don't hmm. think there's any malice to it. I truly think he remembers it as a gift. People remember things differently. And, and now he got married. I went to visit him. I'm like, hey, if you don't have the setup, I'll take those albums back. And she was like, well, we might listen to them sometime. I'm thinking... <laughs> It's been 10 years. You don't have a turntable set up and you just have a kid. You're not going to listen to these albums. They're just collecting dust, yep. So I want them back. But he's such a nice guy. He helped me in so many other ways. I feel so small to want the albums back. You know, so I really think that's why I've kind of lost my attachment to vinyl. I always loved vinyl and I took vinyl from, you know, New York to Austin, and and many many times I took some in the car, and then I come back and get some on plane. I mean, I've done this so many times, uh, and like you say, there's a lot of attrition. So I think I have a different relationship to the albums from so many moves. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm messy. I would scratch them up and not take care of them as much as I love them. And and MP3s and MP4s are stupid and don't sound very good but the, if you're a disorganized person it's if you, you can't be disorganized with them they're inherently well, organized it's easier in a lot of ways yeah but they sound crappy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're all about making apple 50 cents right <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know I, i'm still a supporter of cds um you know yeah. in terms of digital you know it's hard to beat that quality yeah um and you still get the artwork, you know, something tangible in your hand. That was that's what's so great yeah. about the LPs, you know. And they don't warp in your car, <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> but they do yeah. have a shelf life. I remember, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think vinyl records will last longer if you take care of them than a CD, which does yeah. like slowly de- de- deteriorate. Yeah. Yeah. Albums were great. I just got tired of carrying them everywhere. <laughs> right. Well, also, it, I also I used to be a DJ in, in the clubs sometimes. And at the time I was a DJ, I lived up five flights of stairs, and they called the first floor 
not the ground floor. So it's really six. And so, you know, I'd have these two milk crates and I'd go up, you know, half a flight with one and then come back down and do the other half. So <laughs> I have this different relationship to LPs, even though I love them. But yeah, the LPs equals magic plus hauling. Yeah. I mean, it's quite a workout like, just hauling them around. I like. I liked when you had to work to get your LPs when I first got LPs and I would just look at all these these really sort of crumbling chaotic bookstores in San Francisco that would have a little album section or these cool kind of what we would consider classic Rocky uh, record stores. I mean, I like the hunt and the chase. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. still like that to a certain extent, think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or I, I, at least picture. for those classic ones, the old, you know, that aren't right. re-releases. Right. Yeah. I think in a, yeah, I think in a smaller place too, you you're gonna uncover like someone's album collection from a estate sale or whatever. But like maybe in a place like Austin, it's you know it's so overground, everything's mm. so overground. <laughs> mm -hmm. Everything's <laughs> a hunt here in Bisbee. It's kind of fun. You have it's, some of the junk hunt. collectors yeah. that, yeah, and they come and, you know, there are some of the thrift stores and consignment yeah. shops and stuff. All that's that. really fun. I, mm -hmm. I just don't experience as much of that culture in, you know, in a insanely gentrified Austin or, mm. you know. How long like, have you been in Austin? Back in the day. Well, I've been in and out, um, mm -hmm. but I got here in, I think, late 80, I got here in 88, I think. Okay. So I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes there. Oh my God! Yeah. It's it's like not the same. I mean, if if you didn't have like certain kind of geographical markers, you wouldn't even <laughs> yeah. know it was the same place. But it's still such it, a great music city. Yeah, you know? have you come here? And, I have um, for South by or other times. No, I was. I think I was just hitchhiking. Oh, um, <laughs> who does that? I was excited to talk to you because. Um, Really, any documentation of that birth of punk rock and that that time period, yeah. the late seventies, is yeah. so fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I love talking about it, and and maybe we can get into some stories. Um, yeah, I haven't talked from San Francisco, but um, I grew up with punk rock. Um, is my roots. Yeah. But at a time where you could Google you know yeah. what is punk rock you know what, what yeah, yeah, yeah what is what are boots and braces you know or, or what yeah. what have you um so i kind of felt like it wasn't authentic as it was almost like the right. colonial williamsburg um you know replica like you know replicating replica. something yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. that yeah, that yeah. that was once yeah, yeah, yeah. um you know having I do a think pulse. the thing about punk rock is i don't know i think i met some i'm i'm this is tangential, but I met these like green haired girls last time I was on tour, young girls, uh, in in the El Paso scene. It was like a really small scene. And I thought, I think they're experiencing pretty much what I experienced because they have their subculture and they have their community and, and right. it's probably at odds with the overground community. I think the only difference is like a lot less people would be like, "Hey, Greeny," you know, like. <laughs> so they don't have the same kind of fight, the same kind of struggle, or. No, no, I don't think you have the same struggle with the outside world as much. But I think that little sense of community, it, uh, right? That kind of grassroots community, 
I think that's probably still there. So, I can't really yeah. speak very accurately about that because I'm not in that community. I'm old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. but I think that, that probably people go into that scene for, for some of the same reasons, but they just don't have as much of a confrontational uh, experience with the, with the general culture it was like you know I would dye my hair just blonde and people would scream at me hey blondie and you know I'd get yeah. all in on it. it was worse when it was blue and pink and, um, that's definitely changed I, I mean I, I do remember when I, I mean I got into it early um, and my, my first band uh, I was 13 actually we were called the Oi Skunks Okay. <laughs> Back before I, I even really knew what oi meant, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I guess, we you know, we never really had people screaming out at us. But I remember my brother used to shave the sides of my head uh, yeah. with a razor, you know, so I could get the full effect of the mohawk. And I would have yeah. razor burn <laughs> cuts all over my yeah. head. So kids would taunt me on the bus. Yeah. So I felt I mean, it a little bit. I was bit. already taunted before <laughs> punk rock. So, it's like, bring it. <laughs> and And that's, <laughs> you know, that's... I mean, talking about the camaraderie of of the scene and and that, yeah, it it is a place. This at least was my experience. Um, it was a place where I could fit in, right? Yeah, I think that yeah. was everything. And I think, you know, I wish that I kind of expressed that better on my album and even better in my show because that was really, to me, that's sort of the big thing that you could remake your family. Uh, right. I, mean, I do talk about that a little bit. To me, you could remake your family. Everybody accepted you. You could be very flawed. They could be very flawed. I think I think what's interesting now is, you know, as an older person, I think we all get, like, busy and intolerant, and we're not very mm. accepting of one another. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in a larger cultural culture wars, uh, you know, lens, we're not accepting of one another at all anymore. But I think on that sort of ground floor punk rock experience, you could be any way, and and you had a lot of friends, and 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 kind of supported and held each other up, and right. and each person was sort of. I felt this with the '80s scene too, which wasn't a punk rock scene, and I, I, I felt it. I felt it even through the '90s. You could sort of be. It was kind of like a, a galaxy, where you could be the happening planet for a minute and people could rotate around you but then you were interested in the other planets in the constellation the other stars and you'd rotate around them and and so i love that i feel like you really do touch on that um on the album and i mean you meant you mentioned those early gigs um you know all sorts of people that you wouldn't see normally like you know transgendered people um, yeah. Being open, very active in the punk rock scene, right? And that's that's so fascinating because you you yeah. fast forward, you know, what decades, de- forty years later, and yeah. we're still talking about it in the news, and it's still, yeah. Um, we're only now yeah. really, I don't know. It seems like only in the past decade progress. or so, we've made a yeah. lot of progress, but in the past year and a half, it, it seems to be backtracking. Right, but uh, I but mean, maybe it's two steps forward, one step back. But at least now. And it's, it's a taken, conversation. It's it, it's a conversation, and and people are feeling more comfortable being open with it. Right. Um, but I guess I imagine back in the seventies, um, people who identify that way were probably so grateful to have this this community that you know started to emerge. 
Um, and the, you I know, know I had yeah. gratitude because I didn't relate to those like football players in high school. <laughs> I can't speak for the, you know, the trans people on the scene. I just think, uh, I don't know. I, I think people like to hang out. I think people like to be accepted. I think people like to uh, kind of push against what we thought was like a dinosaur corporate culture then, no. but what, mm. we, what were we thinking? <laughs> you know, it was like nothing. Uh, it was just a long guitar solo, a long drum solo. Right. But, uh, <laughs> Get back to basics. Uh, right? yeah. yeah. But, you know, San Francisco was full of all kinds of people, and this was probably a microcosm of, of you know, you know, of some of San Francisco's society. You know, it was only kind of later where, in the 80s, you know, and it's been talked about a lot where the punk rock got more homogeneous and more male and probably more white. I don't know, definitely mm. more male. I don't know how that even happened. Wasn't there like this a, a female player in Black Flag? I don't know how it was. It got to be just like this like uh, testosterone fest of, you know, built white guys with their shirts off i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well you you make reference to the go-go's um yeah. what's your because um in all girl bands you kind of um you know riff on, on the melody of yeah. we got the beat yeah. um and you know watching i think it was you know behind the music or something like that i, I know that they had pretty punk rock roots on I the west coast when they were a um, punk rock band i never yeah. saw them when they got big i saw them before Kathy Valentine, when that when Margot was their bass player, it's sort of a a blur seeing them. But I do remember seeing Belinda, I think, at a Germs concert wearing a fur coat. I remember that really stuck out because it's <laughs> like, man, the LA scene is really different. Let's go see. I used to have a line about that in my show, but it seemed a little. I don't know if it was mean spirited or I don't know. It was. It stuck in my mind. And I'm pretty sure I saw the germs too, but it, a lot of that LA stuff is really a blur. Uh, I I know I saw the weirdos a lot of times, um, but I I I went over. The, a lot of people lived at the Canterbury Hotel. Have you read any like of these oral histories that are out or Alice Bag's book? Or mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people lived at this rundown. This cool rundown hotel, the Canterbury. I and I knew some people that lived there, and so many different punks live there. If you went over to visit your friend, you ended up, you know, in other people's apartments. So I have memories of being in Jane's apartment, but I, I don't know that we were more than acquaintances. Um, and Charlotte, I never really knew, but you know, like on my album, it says I got my drum lesson from DJ Bonebreak, but he wasn't an ex and he was in a band with Charlotte called The Eyes. Mm. And they used to practice at the mask and I slept over. Sometimes if I didn't have place to stay, I'd sleep at the mask. <laughs> um, so I, I think I got up and it was like their practice time. And then I, was, I walked up to DJ and I was like, hey, I want to learn drums. Will you give <laughs> me a lesson? And he's like the nicest guy in the world. So he did. So, yeah, I don't have a lot of go-go stories. I did know Margo a little bit when she moved to New York because um, she was she lived or hung out in the East Village during the time of my band, Pulsalama. So mm -hmm. I would see her around. Um, I don't know if I have answers to those questions. It was definitely surprising that that band blew up so big, but I'm, 
I'm glad they did. Well, I have to admit, I love the first uh, couple of albums yeah. in the early 80s of the Go-Go's. They're catchy songs. Um, I mean, and they were breaking grounds. I mean, they didn't keep their sounds um, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I I, well, I remember because you're an all female band. All, yeah, every, every single member. And, yeah, and they weren't put mm-hmm. together. You know, I mean, I love the Runaways, but they're a put together. Band. Right. You know, they're sort yeah. of like the Monkees. I mean, and then a put together band could take on its own life. Paul Salama was a put together band too by Ann, and then all of a sudden you start writing songs and playing and going places, and you're not a put together band anymore. But um, but they weren't. They were a total do it yourself band. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I still give them a lot of credit. Yeah. And those are catchy pop songs. They really were. They're very catchy. <laughs> In the 80s, I didn't really like catchy pop songs. But something must have changed. <laughs> I can't seem to hardly write songs that aren't that kind of song anymore. But the but the culture doesn't want those kind of songs anymore, I don't, mm. I don't think. What does the culture I, I think, want? Yeah. I don't even know I, anymore. I, I don't know. It's very, fra- <laughs> it's very fragmented. and. It is. That's a great word for it. And, yeah. Yeah, and then like the overground experience, I guess, is, you know, hip-hop and this this kind of pop that I will definitely hum to, but I'm not, I, I'm impressed with the craftsmanship of it, but right. it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's it, it, the pop is like, uh, to me, like, uh, it's like on the level of a conglomerate, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh, well-polished, like, you know, you can appreciate it like on that AT&T level. It's like the AT&T of pop, it's like mm-hmm. the Go-Go's, if the, if the Go-Go's were made by by uh, Verizon, you know, <laughs> or something, you know what I mean? Yep, yep. Um, Verizon presents, yep, the Go-Go's. Well, I'm sure Verizon does present the Go-Go's, but <laughs> I just mean like if Verizon made the music, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, it would be, you know, Portugal the Man. And I'll sing that song, it's a great song, <laughs> or Pharrell or whatever. I mean, and those are some of the better ones, but, um, and, you know, I like hip hop too, but I, I'm old, so I liked what seemed to be pretty... When hip-hop came downtown from the Bronx to New York, I used to go to like the Roxy and go to lots of shows. And I, I love those bands, but I, yeah. I could relate to them because they were in my city and, you know, I met people and, and it was a thing that was sort of breaking. Right, then. it must have been exciting, yeah. But I, I, don't, I would like to relate to Jay-Z. I would love to relate to Beyonce. Because all kinds of people love Beyonce, and she's really become this like feminist icon. Mm-hmm. I want to like the music. I, I I don't like it very much. Well, it's good uh, that you know just be able to appreciate her and what I she's like, doing. I yeah. like her, the, her power in the world, and I love that she could go on stage almost like Wonder Woman in a little, you know, like leotard shaped thing and with like big strong legs and she can be a sex symbol and a money maker you know we don't all have to have this one body type and she is like revered so i I like her place in the world i tried to watch the coachella thing and hope i would convert but but i oh i'm so out of the loop i don't even know what you're talking about she 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 played at coachella Mm -hmm. like a week ago or two weeks ago and and it's like all over the news media (laughs) So I, was, I, I watched some of the YouTube. It's very big. It's all very big. Mm-hmm. What did she yeah. do exactly? Was it a... I mean, was she protesting anything? No, I mean, or? no. She she just did a set, but it was like like the biggest act that they've ever had at Coachella oh, was Beyonce. Okay. Okay. She mm-hmm. just pulled up all the, sh- the stops of showmanship. 
Mm. Uh, this is a big glossy show, but it, people were super impressed with it. And, um, you know, she, she brought out her sister and sang with her. And then she uh, brought out her old band, Destiny's Child, sang with them. You know, it's very, very, very showbiz. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 yeah, she has a she has a strain of of activism in in that music. I just I think I'm too old. I know I keep saying that, <laughs> but I imagine <laughs> that's that's why you you appreciate her. You know, she's standing f- for something. I right? yeah. And yeah. I also like it just as a uh, in a body way because we're all supposed to be this one kind of sexy. You know, as women, you're you know, you're supposed to be this one kind of body, and um, I mean, I do think she's selling sex, but she's selling sex like completely on her own. Yeah, terms. but she's owning it exactly, and she's owning it. Right, she's owning it and broadening, mm-hmm. broadening. Uh, I don't know the right way to say it, but you know, making it so that a broader type of female. And I'm talking about body. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about race. Uh, can can be perceived as hot, you know. Right. And, um, and we're all supposed to be so skinny, and I'm definitely not. So to be playing music, to bring it back to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. to be playing music at 58, chunky, you know, you're like that's that's pretty punk rock. That's breaking a lot of stereotypes because no one really wants to see a chunky 58 year old, you know, play. <laughs> female play any music i don't know you could go see this chunky men sometimes these folk singers and nobody has <laughs> and a that's okay with it. but i think there's a double standard i really do uh, uh, well you know you you don't um censor yourself or you know on well i'm thinking of the song blue haired boy yeah um and you know uh, what's been also talked about a lot recently is you know what are women supposed to talk about you know with sex uh, and yeah. and it seems like the whole the whole song's about one night stand a, a one night stand right <laughs> yeah and I, I love yeah. this line that you have in there have to, um, yeah can you can you fall in love for for just one night and I'm wondering are you are you asking are you asking the you know the listener do you have an I, answer or <laughs> is <yeah>. it rhetorical <laughs> or what you know I think I just did that all the time. Mm-hmm. fell in love for one night mm-hmm. i really really think i did that and then when i did my my performance piece i rented this little theater and the guy that runs the theater was really nice and he said he'd watch the piece and he gave me some notes mm. <laughs> he only gave me three notes and one of them was to put some space between can you fall in love for just one night and then he said put a space there i think you can and then he said, put in even longer space. <laughs> I think that's why I did it so many times. So it's a joke, but it's a truth. Well, uh, you know, I, it was... Um, and I, I felt it. I don't know. If, I don't really... My perception mm-hmm. is that men don't really fall in love for just one night. But, <laughs> you know, um, because it's, it's more about uh, uh, physica- physicality and physical sensation. Mm-hmm. But I, and I think women can all can totally be about physicality and physical sensation and that sometimes uh, we're represented that, that we can't be that way. Mm-hmm. But at least in my own head, I, I always had a lot of romance around these hookups. No, it's beautiful. And, and wanted more and, uh, and really built it up, you know. My um, experience I mean, I remember that hookup from, you know, 40 years. It yeah, obviously yeah. had some romantic shape to me. 
Was right. that was that so memorable because it was, I mean, a, a punk rock? Um, I mean, you go into describing what he looked like. Um, it was memorable because I really hadn't seen a boy with blue hair before. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, and then it was mm-hmm. also memorable because there was an open room across from where we are partying. It was unlocked. It was empty. <laughs> and so we went mm-hmm. into that room. And then the little part of me that's a good girl is like, well, that was kind of bad. Uh, I think I'll just rent this room and move into it because I was living at my parents at that point. I was kind of in and out. And um, and then that particular place became a little bit like the Canterbury, not as hardcore. Mm. You know, that place I was telling you in mm-hmm. L.A. and not as run down. But lots of punks ended up moving in there. So so these, these girls, Janie and, and Jerry, Janie was the girlfriend of Will Shatter from Negative Trend and later Flipper. They, they were there mm. first, and then I moved across the hall. And then I don't remember who else came. I know my friend Julie, I think, moved in there. Um, and I think other punks moved in there. So it was also memorable because I ended up living in that room for yeah. I don't know how long. I really don't remember. And other people came, would stay in that room like... Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know how much you know about like the you know obscure California scene, but there was a band called F Word. F Word. So Rick, okay. Rick Elric was the he was the front guy of F Word. He he, wore, he he really rejected shoes. <laughs> he was barefoot <laughs> as much as possible. That was like his shtick. Hmm. And then he had this manager, Posh Boy, who I guess I, I think he's put out other people you know records for people. I don't I don't remember what records. I think he put out some records that were big, some punk rock records, but I don't remember. But, like, my room was so tiny, and, like, Posh Boy and Rick Elric slept on the floor. Like, you know, I had, like, a single bed, and then about the amount of space of a single bed, and they both slept down there. So I guess I remember it because he had blue hair, and, I, you know, I never seen, and he was real pretty. I remember it because I moved into the room. I remember it because, like I say, well, I don't know if I say it on the album or just in the show, but he, you know, the blue haired boy had a girlfriend and went back to the suburb he lived in. And Mm. then, you know, and that was over. Um, So I guess I remember the excitement and the letdown and the moving into the room. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and there was something there. There's something that um, maybe not the same as if you were to establish a relationship with someone, but, Right, there's something yeah. there. There's yeah. something I always felt like there was, not always, but I often or usually felt like there was something there, and and like you got a little kind of high, like when you kind of got, you know, just like you would you would get with somebody that maybe you end up like you know living with, you know, when you mm-hmm. first meet them, there's like a a lot of fairy dust and a lot of excitement and adrenaline, and uh, I always liked that, and. Um, yeah. Well, you get that high now. Um, I mean, with it's like a one-click hookup. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, now, I'm really and curious but curious about that. Well, I'm you know, so I am have... curious about that, but I'm never gonna know or experience that. And I'm actually really thankful mm-hmm. because I'm. I was so impulsive. I would be like swiping all the time, <laughs> and, and and then I would yeah. be like so devastated the next day. You know. Right. It's just, I mean, it's totally hookup. But I'm so curious about that. I wish I could just be like 
fly on the wall in that interaction, not out of like uh, some kind of pervy voyeurism. <laughs> like I'm like really actually, curious, yeah. like culturally, societally, like what does that fucking look like, man? Well, you know, <laughs> you know? I I, th- I don't think it's the same anymore. Um, it's I mean, there's an excitement. Thin. You know, it seems a little. Mm-hmm. Then you don't even get to kind of discover who they are first before you hook up. Right. Um, it's just. It seems and, like a lot of the excitement comes from just the pictures, the clicking, you know, the little red dot that, you know, appears on your, you know, mail me- message. I think it would have broke know. my heart. I mean, I think I would do it because I'm so impulsive, but I think I would, it would break my heart because it's, it's, I mean, you're just screening for like, you know, if, if you're a dude, you're just screening for like a pretty face and a body type. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's just not cool i don't think it's cool (laughs) and also like i really lived through the ravages of the 80s aids epidemic lost lots of friends so to me this is like really a weird um development that you know there was you know i was cool with all this promiscuity but it did exacerbate uh an epidemic (laughs) and then and then now we are kind of Back to promiscuity, but in this very private, technological, uh, social media way. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't relate to it, but I'm really intrigued by it. Well, we're reaching, we're reaching the point where even um, HIV is... Uh, Coming back a little bit. Well, it is, I was in Atlanta, um, and I have uh, you know some gay friends there. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, I learned it is an epidemic in places like Atlanta, but it's interesting because it's manageable now. You know, people right, people aren't dying in meds. droves. There's good meds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll have to take a pill every day for the rest right. of your life, but it's manageable. Yes. So, yes, I mean that, I, I and that's the big one now. Take the pill every day. Um, yeah, that is even manageable. And at manageable. least the pill is affordable mm-hmm. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so anything that you can catch now is. You know, either treatable or manageable. I don't know how that's mm-hmm, changing mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy yeah, to think about I, syphilis, for example. Um, I, I mean, that used to just kill everybody. Talking about syphilis, <laughs> <laughs> but now you just get you know some injections in your butt of uh, you know some yeah. sort of antibiotic. Yep. But You're right, you don't die of madness like in yeah. Dickensian times or <laughs> right. pre, you don't slowly lose your mind. Times, you yep. know, Roman times. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah but so um we've been talking for almost an hour um yeah which is great <laughs> you probably only uh, want 15 minutes of this but, no yeah. no 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 i i mean the whole intention um of this show you know long form interviews really yeah. picking at your brain um yeah. and back to the album you know it yes. really is a nostalgia album and it's great are there any other tracks um that are linked to any great stories from that time well, certainly winner of hate i don't know mm-hmm. if it's like i mean i don't know if there's like a short little you know let me tell you about you know that day but well I it mean, was not the summer of love you make that clear not the summer of love <laughs> i mean the thing about the you know that that whole little 48 hours of when the sex pistols came to town i know that i went to the miyako hotel because i heard that they were staying there and i was hoping to like spy a sex pistol with my little eye (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i did but i ran into this guy brendan who uh ran the mask in la and uh 
we decided we would meet up later at at the show. At the show, I remember thinking the show was awful mm. and horribly disappointing, crushingly disappointing. Oh no! Um, and <laughs> even if you know that Lydon is, you know, and you love him for being sarcastic and nasty when he's in your city being sarcastic and nasty to you. I don't know. The tone is different, you know? Right. He said, do you ever get the feeling you've been cheated? You ever get a feeling you've been cheated? I was like, fuck that. You know? I know. So that was his commentary up. on what? Just the whole city of San Francisco? Or what? What? Do you ever get the feeling mm-hmm, you've been cheated? Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think is about the show. Okay. Okay. The show. And then they broke up right after the show. They were mm. hating each other. You know, Malcolm McLaren had booked them into like little roadhouses in Texas and Oklahoma, you know, like and at Atlanta in the South. He okay. was trying to make it awful and controversial and confrontational. Huh. And he succeeded. And then, you know, I guess, you know, Sid had been like best friends with John but he'd been a totally different guy before he became a heroin addict and started hanging out with Nancy Spungen. So mm. you had this like guy that used to be your best friend and now is just like wasted all the time and uh, playing terribly. And you know what? You know not not that we all cared about playing that well, but if you're a band and you have songs, you do want to play right, the songs right, right. and the parts. So I think they're all like hating on each other. And it was also sort of like a monkey's put together band. So it wasn't like they totally f- formed because they were all friends. You know, Paul and Steve were friends, and John and Sid were friends. But I don't, I don't think they had a lot of love between those two factions. And then they played this venue where I went to see Boston. You know, where I mm. went to see like offshoots of the Grateful Dead. Where I went to see Heart, and that really wasn't like a punk rock venue you know i guess they just needed a payday after all those little crappy shows mm-hmm. so they booked this one show with bill graham and bill graham. and just everything was wrong about it and um, what what um what year is that 78 the u.s tour yeah. yeah and and the nuns opened and the avengers opened and i asked them you know what was that like back i, I didn't go backstage and they said they were treated nastily in my mm. show i say you know i'm sure they treated fog hat with great reverence <laughs> you know respect <laughs> um and malcolm supposedly i've read you know asked like what was the worst band in punk band in san francisco and that he was going to have them go on after the sex pistols so he wow booked this band negative trend uh, that my roommate uh, will shatter was in the guy i said went on to being flipper and lived across the hall in Oz, um, but they didn't even end up getting to play. And then there was like, I don't know, I went to an after party, but I didn't go after. I went like the next day, and it was raging, and Sid was at the party, and (laughs) he was like hooking up with all these girls in the closet. (laughs) Yeah, I talk about it in my show. You have to get someone to to book my show. Yeah, well, (laughs) well, that's a great way to end this interview, that... Kind of, yeah. uh, you know, on a teaser. Yeah. Um, 
but I feel like we could talk all day and yeah, we maybe maybe not, we can get you into the fun. studio face to face at yeah. some point. And I'm sure I'll be seeing you this weekend. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you, um, what what do you have to plug when this when this comes out on podcast? We'll we'll have links uh, to your material. But uh, what can you I tell have a website, everybody? SadieSaturdayNight.com. And that's N I T E, right? It might be renamed GeneCaffeine.com. Okay. I have that too, but GeneCaffeine.com has nothing current on it it just says it's cool looking but it's got a bunch of old stuff uh, and i lost the password but that's a problem anyways mm-hmm. um and and you can go to Bandcamp. on Bandcamp, i have three albums i guess that's what you've heard i have other stuff i have more albums on on itunes and stuff spotify um spotify mm-hmm. i hate but everybody goes to it that's what i um, use so i <laughs> Yeah, I'm all, I'm all over Spotify. Get me my three cents. Listen to those songs a lot of times, so I get my three cents. So that's times. how it works. Every time okay. someone listens to a track, you get, I get three, three cents. cents. Oh, that's great. It's not great. It's not great. Well, I mean, it's better used than to nothing. Buy things and you'd get yeah, yeah like yeah. ninety cents. <laughs> right. You no, know? but right. three cents sucks. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's not great. But you can't beat them. You got to join them. So you can totally go to Spotify. Um, you can buy the album from me on Bandcamp. The album isn't at very many record stores. I didn't do a good job at all of trying to get it distributed. I, tr- I tried with a couple places. Got but you're started. out there. People can find it. Yeah, people can yeah. find it. Um, and I am. Do- I don't know how soon you're doing this podcast, but you know, I am doing this little tour to California. Mm-hmm. So you could... Uh, yeah, so what are some of the cities that you'll be in? I have little shows in L.A., San Diego, Sacramento. Perfect. Uh, uh, San Francisco. Okay. Um, I have got a little one coming up in Dallas. Thank you so much, Gene. Yeah, Jean. yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, it. It, was, it was fun. I, I hope I didn't shortchange you on the punk rock stories. No, it was great. <laughs> Well, there you have it. She she definitely did share some great stories, and you can hear more if you go see her live. Uh, the album Sadie Saturday Night also has some great spoken word tracks that uh, really help push a narrative forward. It's fun to listen to, and also go back and listen to her earlier releases like Geckos in the Elevator. Good, good stuff. Uh, make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a thing. And also send me an email, bisbylive at gmail.com. And remember to treat others the way you would want to be treated, all right? 